0: Welcome to the 99 Celsius Podcast. I'm your host, Marco Quay. Thanks for tuning in. This week's episode features writer and health and wellness advocate, Rachel Leak. Rachel started her career focusing on impact for student athletes. As life would have it, she's really been in the business of maximizing human potential for the entirety of her life. Like an artist selfishly immersed in a mission, her medium is merely a messenger, not the message. So whether it is her own creations or the safe spaces she develops, it's all in the name of growth. A grinder and well grounded, like the coffee bean she is, this is Brooklyn and a bee. in the season of healing is so appealing to some, reveals much of what they believe in. Our spiritual doctors that indoctrinate droplets of wisdom, that revertebrate the vertebrae, spread love the Brooklyn way, like the day a coffee bean was dropped into boiling water. Harboring the excruciating circumstances, because taking a stance was more important. Bringing the color of life to the likes of her environment, she converts plight into enlightenment. And a coffee bean in boiling water the soft interior of the egg is hardened the hard exterior of the carrot is softened but the coffee bean the coffee bean changes the color of the water the environment is Yes, yes, we back with episode five, mini milestone episode here. It's going to be real dope. I actually have, uh, if you tuned in to episode zero, we definitely bring in a uh, a very big, impactful, influential figure to the show today that was involved with episode zero. So it's going to be real cool for that full circle moment. I can't wait to continue to put these on and uh, bring people on that have been impactful along the way to these episodes, so with no further ado, Rachel Leak, what's going on?
1: Hey, I'm going to clap myself up, clap <laughs> myself up. <laughs> Welcome to the 99 Celsius Podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. Welcome to my home, how about that? <laughs> hey,
0: it's a trade-off right there. Thank yes. you for having me.
1: Yes. By the
0: way, we in New York City right now, mm-hmm. in Harlem, uptown. Yes. So, um, you know, y'all going to hear some of that detail from New York City, <laughs> The windows are open, the sun's peeking through.
1: It is. It's damn near spring. So this is this is basically summertime New York. <laughs> basically the f- first sign of warm weather. It yeah. It's kind of crazy back outside. That's real.
0: So. And uh, I mean, this is, I'm sure this weather is no comparison to where you just came back from. ah uh, yes. So why don't you tell the people where where, where are you coming back from? You got the you tan just and lobbed all that.
1: It up. I'm slamming in. <laughs> I just came back from Brazil. Uh my Boyfriend and I, my boyfriend and I, we um, spent about two weeks out in Brazil. We went to Bahia, uh, Rio de Janeiro, and Sao Paulo. And I mean, the entire experience was really, really great. Um, The people of Brazil really know how to party. It was carnival when we were down there. And so in addition to just the hospitality that they genuinely have, and what we heard—you know—all the good things that we heard about going down there during Carnival—they're just even more nicer. So it was a really great time. A lot of food, a lot of dancing, um, a lot of music, a lot of cultural immersion. So I mean, we really had a really good time.
0: I was looking at your stories, I was living.
1: <laughs> I was like, man.
0: It didn't seem like two weeks. It felt like you were there for like a month. <sighs> really? So when I reached out to you, and I was like, "Yo, are you are you, are you still there? <laughs> are you back? What's going on?" Because I yeah. felt like you were there forever.
1: Yeah, we did a little bit of bouncing around. We Sao Paulo was really like our kind of base almost. If you want to think about it that way, we flew in there from New York, and um, going into Bahia, we spent about okay, we spent about three days in Sao Paulo. Flew to Bahia for about another three four days. Um, That was really our favorite spot. The carnival there was um, amazing. Uh, Just beautiful people. It's really like Labor Day here on Eastern Parkway, except without Mm. the costumes, but there's still the big bands, a lot of music, the live performances, all of those things are really going down out there. Um, The beach, I mean, we went to the beach every single day. Our Airbnb was walking distance from it. So then we flew back from Bahia, went to Sao Paulo, and we took a six-hour bus ride to Rio de Janeiro. And As the
0: bus drives by. As the bus drives by, the
1: MTA bus. (laughs) It was beautiful because being able to see Brazil going through, like, the countryside or um, just the parts you don't really see being in the larger cities. Um, So there was this valley point where, I mean, you could see for miles and miles and miles, and all of it was just rolling hills and, you know, mountains off to the side. So it was a, it was like... Really nice to kind of like peel back yeah. on um, the cityscape and really get the more um, mountainous sides and the greenery because, you know, that's what I live for. Mm. I love that. So, so, was that your favorite part? It was um, definitely Bahia's beach. Um, it was beautiful. They, there was like a lighthouse down the shore. So, it just very picturesque. The whole country, very picturesque. The people, um, everything. So, Yeah, but definitely being able to, you know, be next to my bay, we were going um, just everywhere from one plane to another. And then I think that was one big thing we noticed when we came back here like our communication is just so much different Mm. um just from spending 11 days together in a space where sometimes we're only people speak people people speaking english um and then figuring out like okay how do we find wi-fi what do we do here like all right i'm gonna listen to you you're gonna listen to me and like seeing how all of that plays out um back here in new york was just uh i think the absolute icing on the top of the like, Yeah, it was Well, you have that crazy. post-vacation glow, for sure. Thank you. Yeah. It's a tan, yeah. a little a tan. bit of sunburn. Glowing. <laughs> and i was like, man, she,
0: she yeah. living right now, yeah. which is awesome. Life uh, is really I did see, I made some friends, too. I saw that in the little Airbnb. I had
2: yeah, a, a little we, click.
1: <laughs> we, you know, it's crazy. And that is another testament to, like, the Brazilian people, um, just their friendliness. We were out one night um, in... Sao Paulo, Um, we went to Batman's Alley, and that's kind of like this alleyway where uh, there's a lot of graffiti art, and it's just so beautiful. But we came out of that, we went to this bar again, there's drinks, food flowing everywhere. And I think somebody bumped into Phil or something like that and, like, mildly, mildly, like, jostled his arm. But they were, like, so apologetic. And they're like, oh, after this, we're going back to my house, we're gonna go party. I'm like, all right, so they're like, you gotta come with us. So we jumped in the cab with them and we rode off, you know. And then in another place, when we were in Bahia, um, we were having dinner. We, I think we asked somebody for like the time, uh, and they were just like, you know, we're going to the beach tomorrow. Come join us. So, we, you know, it, it really the people were just so friendly, and you know, and and every time they picked us up or whatever. So, it yep. was, we we made friends very very easily. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. I got to make my way there for sure. You do. Yeah. You do. <laughs> so welcome back. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's oh, great. Well, I want to give context as mm-hmm. I always do. This one is a real special one Yay. to me, this episode. As I mentioned, mini milestone, episode <laughs> five, Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. Ironically, um, and we've been cool for a minute, and I'll talk yeah. about how we got cool, but I feel like even for us, last year, right around this time, Women's mm-hmm. History Month, I feel like we hit a new level Yeah. as far as friendship. Mm-hmm. And um, for those of you that don't know, Rachel launched last year, and this was like a... Special thing for mm-hmm. you, and we'll probably get there in the interview too. But yeah. you had did a uh, you had paid homage to notable woman mm-hmm. last year during Women's History Month. And, yeah, um, was it a weekly series?
1: Yeah, so each it was four women, so it was four weeks in the month, uh, four women, and each week I paid homage to about three of their most iconic images. So the four women were Frida Kahlo, Nina Simone, um, Naomi Campbell, and Toni Morrison. And those four women um, inspired me in numerous, numerous ways. So um, I definitely wanted to do that. Mm. And so each week um, I chose a different woman and I um, about spaced them out. So that way about three images each week.
0: Dope. Yeah. And I remember seeing that and... And again we'll touch on your journey but mm-hmm. that for me was something that I had never witnessed you know from you mm-hmm. right like you know a lot of uh, of our conversations didn't at that point didn't really touch on the creative realm mm-hmm. and seeing that the photography and the the modeling and mm-hmm. And I'm seeing styled by and, mm-hmm. you know, creative directed by mm-hmm. and everything is your name. And I'm like, yo, this is so dope.
1: And See, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you had never seen that side of me before. But I mean, it makes complete sense. Yes, yeah. It does. I, it does. I, like,
0: if anything, like we had conversations and glimpses. Mm-hmm. But to see, it just felt like this rollout out of nowhere. Yeah. And I remember it really captured my attention. I was mm-hmm. like, wow, like, mm-hmm. this work is fire. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank so you. I remember calling you up immediately like, yo, what is, like, what is What's this? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and we had a conversation about it and yeah. then we talked, you know, just about life in general mm-hmm. and, you know, how you were navigating towards that more creative side of mm-hmm. yourself and how you discovered it and we, we mm-hmm. you know, we had we had a good conversation. So yeah. that I feel like it's just it's so fitting and I'm glad that we're getting to do this on an important episode to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, five weeks is a lot to be doing something, you yeah. know what I mean? Like uh, that's you know, that's more than a month. And yeah. I'm proud that just have the opportunity to continue to do it and yeah. you know, uh, one of the best things about this project for me is that it's given me the opportunity to hold myself accountable mm-hmm. because okay. I can't tell everyone else to be able to stick through the process and work through without <clears throat> doing it myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so,
1: <laughs> yeah, so, this is really how we are Like when we're on the phone. like I be hyping you. Yeah. You be hyping me. That's like.
0: <laughs> real. Oh God, this so, is so funny. <laughs> That so it's just it's this is dope it's like very full circle to me yeah. um to be here and such now as far as how we know each other in general mm-hmm. um, Rachel and I met back uh, I think it was probably twenty eleven yeah in, uh, at Rutgers University mm-hmm. and we had both done a community service event mm-hmm. and it was something with with students involved I don't even really remember the details of it mm-hmm. but
1: I think that was you. No, yeah, you're right. We before you recruited me to do something for meat, we did something together, but we didn't know each other, I believe, or something like that.
0: Oh, yeah. you know what? Because the, the date auction, did you do it before? Oh, I did the date auction. You did do it. I did the date. Okay, okay. I, so yes, so it was I the date did. auction right before, mm-hmm. and but like you know, we knew each other. Uh huh. I don't know. They were like really close in proximity. Mm-hmm. I feel like the date auction came first. Yeah. And then right after was that community service event Mm -hmm. anyway needless to say i Mm -hmm. thought you were like you know a junior or something (laughs) you were just holding it down on that panel and i remember we talked after and you're like oh no i'm a freshman Mm i was
2: like
1: what you're a freshman
0: i think i was only like a year older than you yeah but um that was cool it was Mm -hmm. like oh wow you know and from that day
1: because i hold weight (laughs) 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 even at 18 i held
0: that shit down (laughs) so uh yeah i think it was only like a year year difference or whatever mm-hmm. but i was just impressed by your maturity and your ability to resonate with the students and Thanks. whoever we were speaking to there and from that day just a friendship grew um you know matriculated through college mm-hmm. towards the end we happened to live in the same building one summer and yes it was cool rock off yeah. right yeah so we got to spend wow, that summer day
1: yeah yes, this it
0: goes so deep true. for sure so we had the rock off rock Off holidays and um you know, studying for math together, all that type of stuff. So it's definitely been a journey. Um, Mm -hmm. Post-graduation, you know, we have been really good support systems for each other in just navigating life in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, the full circle piece, what makes this really incredibly dope to me is that you're actually the reason why this podcast is titled 99 Celsius.
1: I mean, you came up with it. You just spit it to me in such a way that it resonated and it just had to spit it right back to you when, yeah. when time came. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, nah, it was it is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that day distinctly just catching up on the phone. Mm-hmm. For anyone that hasn't heard uh, episode zero, I'll just do like a quick synopsis of it. Um, Basically, Rachel and I um, were having a conversation one day on the phone and she brought up a conversation that we had two years before that mm-hmm. about where she was in life at that moment mm-hmm. she was in grad school navigating a place um and I talked to her about like at that time like you know why she was frustrated mm-hmm. and I asked her how do you know when water is boiling and she was like I mean it bubbles mm-hmm. I was like, oh, <laughs> "Well, what about before it bubbles 20 degrees 30 degrees before that she's like you don't know and I'm like exactly and uh and it wasn't until two years later we have a conversation on the phone and we're actually talking about creative projects but not about a podcast at all right just talking about what are you what are you cooking up what are you working Mm -hmm. on
2: Mm. uh you know what
0: am i doing and i don't even know if i got to the point of mentioning a podcast to you i think that i was talking about some other things the retreat and some other stuff yeah and you were like yo you know I was thinking about you and, and what you told me about boiling and Water" the other day because mm-hmm. I was frustrated and I and I thought about it and it pulled me out of that rut. Mm-hmm. And you recited the conversation to me, and then it clicked. And mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my goodness, <laughs> that's the name! Yeah. Like that's the concept." And then the name came right after, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's what I want to br- want to bring to people." Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's 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 so fitting. I'm glad that you're here. Thank mm-hmm. you for Thank for being you, on this episode. Yeah, and it's gonna be amazing. We have these kind of conversations all the time all already. All the time, yeah. And um, so it's gonna be cool to to record it. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a
1: little marker in history. We'll be able to
0: go back, <laughs> yeah, however many years afterwards, oh, and see where we were at.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is such full circle conversation. I mean, uh, Phil and I were talking about again the Women's History Month thing that we did, which was exactly a month, I mean, a year ago. And he was like, where were we um, a year ago, you know, mentally, physically, uh, all these spiritually? We didn't even have this apartment yet, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? So even in less than a year time, I've moved to a physical new space and, um, you know, we've traveled so much more. We've done all these different things and it's just like, you don't know where you're going to be, so just keep going, you know, just one step, Yeah. That's That's real. Full circle, it really is full, full circle. circle conversation, man. Cool. <laughs> so
0: for the other full circle, mm-hmm. we are gonna go all the way back to the beginning of your story, and your time, how things started off. Yeah. I do know that you are born and raised in mm-hmm. Brooklyn, New York. Correct. I keep bringing Brooklyn people on here, which is Brooklyn, crazy. Stand up. <laughs> yeah, I got yeah. a monopoly on my podcast right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited to to start the journey to talk about what you were doing as a as a kid and mm-hmm. what was important to you. You Can recall some of the earliest things in your life, yeah. You know, what was life for what was life like for you growing up in Brooklyn?
1: Uh, so Brooklyn, I mean, I'm a Brooklyn girl living in Harlem at the moment. Uh, Brooklyn, but Brooklyn definitely has my heart. I'm from Canarsie, uh, and You know, my parents, I would say a lot of my childhood is is contextualized through the lens of my parents being um, Trinidadian immigrants, you know. Um, So I like to say that I grew up in America, but culturally, like that Trinidadian um, influence was there in the household. Um, And so growing up, you know, you're bringing like lunch to school and people are like, what is that? You know, Mm -hmm. you make a paleo or whatever, you know, and people don't really know what it is. And so it's, it's funny because... Some of the things that I, you know, I, I would say growing up, there's was this identity thing about, like, where do you really fit in? Um, and so you kind of growing up and you're trying to figure out where, um, you know, how how to relate to people. I would say more so less than fit in, but how to relate to people. Because sometimes it would feel like I couldn't relate and I didn't relate, you know, and I found that... Um, when you try and be yourself, maybe it won't be accepted in the same way, but um, you just got to do the best that you can with that. And I think for me, I retreated a lot into books. I started reading a lot and I was really like self-isolating almost when mm. I was younger. I, it's funny because I don't I don't remember um, elementary school. I remember middle school, you know, a little bit. But even then, I still remember very much like isolating myself. So I read a lot. Um, and I paid attention. I watched a lot of America's Next Top Model. You know, I had a lot of creativity, um, from there's those spaces. And then my parents, they were both very creative individuals. Uh, Um, my dad, he was a painter with the MTA. He was a painter with the MTA and, um, but he would come home and, um, you know, create, like he built a fish tank inside of our, childhood home um, yeah it, it it's really pretty and i'll send you a pretty picture of it it was a wedding gift to my mom and like he would create decorations that go inside of the fish tank all these things and so just calling back all these things right now um it shows like there was art around me at all times and like my dad has moved to florida now and as he decorates his house he's really like showcasing the art that he's created And so it's given me a new lens to kind of look through like what my childhood really was about yeah um for me, I would say a lot of my identity um, and that isolation kind of like led me to track in a, in a way, almost, because um, I got to high school and um, I was in English class and I was sitting in the front of the class just being who I am, like a front row person. And um, there was an the track coach she was a social studies teacher but um she was filling in for our english teacher that day and so she sees me in the front she's like you look like you can run come come run you know and come to the basement at the end of the school yeah basically and that's how i got into track um you know she just saw she just saw me physically and was just like you look like you know what you're doing and um i saw that as a way to like um, not be home you know it kind of gave me like a isolation independence kind of that i really was craving and so i took to that and started running track um, my life there was there's certain points in my life where i literally can see where that pivot foot came in and t- changed my trajectory 110% mm-hmm. like i don't know i well you know i i know for a fact if i did not run track in high school my life would look very very differently um, track has been uh, discipline, uh, guidance. you know, a parent. Um, it's been immediate friendships, a lot of things, a lot of confidence came from me running track to um, body positivity at a young age where it's like, okay, these stretch marks, they mean that my muscles are growing because I'm getting better at this sport. And it doesn't, you know, have the negative connotation that maybe high school girls might attribute mm-hmm. to them, you know, so it was truly a new lens that I kind of like really looked through in my life. And I, um, to this day, still thank my high school Uh, coaches for seeing that in me and I started out my um, track journey being the worst on my team you know for my age My grade, whatever, and at the end, I was, you know, scoring a full scholarship to go to college, and so so that truly wasn't just attributed to the discipline and the work that was put in, because I didn't start running track until high school, you know. Which I never knew. Yeah, you know. I thought it
0: started. I I thought you were doing track your whole life. (laughs) No, no. you have teammates. I think there's one in particular I'm Mm -hmm. thinking of um, that we running, running track, from seven. Whole, yeah, yeah. And I thought it was one of those kind of things. No,
1: yeah. Um, again, I my my. I really wanted to get to college, and I was, like, by uh, sophomore year, you know, you, so I was f- kind of terrible my first year. Sophomore year, I kind of, like, came into my own. I think I grew, I, I throughout high school, I grew also. I grew four inches in high school, so, like, there was a lot of body changes that kind of happened, and that's the thing with track. You don't know, if you're running really, really great, you know, your first year, that's not necessarily mean that by your senior year, you're going to be a superstar. Like, mm. it's, a lot of things change, and, like, you peak when you kind of peak, and, and, and but, All that to the side to say that um you know once i realized that this could be a way out of brooklyn and a way out of you know my household and i can like go away to college like i was like oh okay i'm definitely doubling down on this you know and so that discipline really stuck in and it really was that mentality of like come hell or high water this practice is getting done this race is getting won so yeah that was a lot of it there there's so much good stuff to dive into mm-hmm. there. for Sure. So the first thing I want to touch on was
0: you talked about the craving of an identity mm-hmm. and acceptance at an early age. Mm-hmm.
1: And- yeah, and that's so multi layered. I mean, um, I just culturally, I think with West Indian parents, um, you know, especially immigrants there biggest safeguard from the moment they come down and if they have children is like, I got to make sure these kids are good, you know? And so their love might look like a straitjacket, you know, because which, which, they're like, in this world, this is what it takes to succeed. And so they try to, um, in the most loving and intentional way of like, they want you to succeed. They want you to fit into a role to make sure that you, da- you can succeed. And, you know, I think as an adult, it takes that very mature perspective to see like you know my parents did love me they just they they were more scared Mm. of what was out there than accepting of who i necessarily was you know and um and you can have those perceptions you can have those judgments about your parents doesn't mean you don't love them any any less you know um but you just have to be able to see them for what they were so um maybe not at home you felt the most accepted in your identity and in for what creative parts and inputs you kind of like brought into the world. But um, yeah, and you sometimes kind of have to figure it out on your own. I felt like that's kind of what my story has really been. I crafted a lot of portion of what my identity means to and what was valuable about me based on my education but based on academia based on um you know the fact that I have longer hair and when I was younger as a young black girl I had it permed and you know what every time my aunt saw me they said oh my god you're so pretty and I was like oh maybe this is how I get recognition you know so it's like all these little markers that are happening and um you know I'm still kind of working through what they all mean and what I'm taking with me, what I'm leaving. Um, but as a 28-year-old woman right now, I'm crafting, my identity right now is really rooted in like, you're worthy no matter what. If you have a ball head, <laughs> you know, with a mental illness, with not a mental mm-hmm. illness, whether you love plants, whether you're vegan, whether you're this, whether you're that. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know. And And taking that acceptance with you. Um, but, I would say when I was younger, that wasn't readily accessible necessarily in my household. But yeah,
0: so with that being a place of struggle for you mm-hmm. then, and and it sounds like it sounds like you actually had somewhat of an understanding of what your identity was because you use the term "straitjacket," mm-hmm. you use the term um, or the idea mm-hmm. of knowing what you wanted with someone else saying, "No, this is the path that you mm-hmm. have to go on." Yeah. So I'm just curious to know what what things stuck out to you that you felt were a part of your identity mm-hmm. that you really wanted to hold on to mm-hmm. and and what ways were those in some ways, taken away from you.
1: Yeah, or maybe I would say more so not celebrated, um, because at ultimately at the end of it, it was my choice to say, you know what, I'm not getting the maybe the pat on the back that I want about mm. this acknowledgement, and so therefore I'm going to tr- choose to go for something which will get me love more readily, you know. Okay. Um, so one of those things I remember being very young, and I always wanted to be a, a interior designer. I always loved to. It, do you remember um, trading places? I think with Ty Pennington or one of them. Like um, he him and neighbors would trade their houses or spaces and they had to like redesign them with the interior designers. And I thought that was so cool. And I was like, oh man, they use the color so well and do these things. And they, you know, I I think one of my parents or maybe somebody interested in our community was just like, yeah, 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 you know, color, blah, 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 blah. You're, you're, you know, what about a lawyer? What about a doctor Mm. kind of thing, you know? So um, it's kind of like, hmm, if I become a lawyer or say I want to be a lawyer, you know, I'll get, acknowledge favorably. So, you know, you kind of shift those things. I remember wanting to be a lawyer for a large portion of the time. Then I was like, no, I don't really like that, even though I love to read. Um, and then I remember the last thought about what I wanted to do um, in high school was chemistry. I wanted to be a pharmacist, and which is funny because getting to Rutgers, I got into everybody's pharmacy school except Rutgers, but I decided to go to Rutgers because I love the team so much and I love the girls that I was interacting with. And so I um, went to Rutgers just undecided, and I decided I'll figure it out from there. And that was another pivot point in my life where I feel like my life completely shifted, going to Rutgers. Yeah. So
0: as a kid, interior design was one of the first things that really captivated you. Mm -hmm. You were super interested in it, Mm -hmm. um, and it felt like you may have not gotten the support acknowledgement pat on the back in that space in the way that you really Maybe we're craving
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, but it's interesting to me because you you had implied earlier mm-hmm. that your father had some it sounded like some design yeah. capability interest, et cetera skill man skill right yeah um what was that like you know seeing that mm-hmm. in some ways you were taking after some mm-hmm. of the interests that he had maybe that some of of seeing those things in your life rubbed off on you mm-hmm. and, and cultivated some of that interest for you. What was it like having this passion and interest Mm -hmm. in a space but not quite being able to be celebrated there because maybe something more practical, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. um, was what they wanted to put on the table for you?
1: Yeah. um, So it's funny because seeing my dad's art creation when I was younger, it never seemed like art in the sense that he would use things that were part of his work. So one of the larger pieces of my dad's art comes from like paint skin. So if you have a bucket of paint and you let it let it air and you know the top layer will form over and then the liquid paint will be at the bottom. So you can pry off that skin and you'll get a layer of skin from it. So he made a larger painting um, with paint skins and so it's I don't know. And then the paintbrushes, like he painted for a living. So I've always seen my dad in paint. He was very handy. um, And a lot of the things that he used were um, like sustainable, meaning that he would use like the shavings from a drill and create the braids of a man's hair or like he would do um, collages or cut stuff from magazines. So in the sense of like what I think growing up, seeing it as like my dad is just – like the decorations he would make from – for the – fish tank he would take like those colorful high seed juice cartons and just cut them like he would use the razor to take the logo off of it and then cut it out and stuff so it was all very sustainable reusable stuff so I think at my young age it was just like oh dad is here doing dad stuff it didn't seem like what art looked like to me when I was like having a palette and a paintbrush and stuff like that um but now obviously I do have the capabilities to see it for what it is um and I think my own mindset um seeing that my dad never pursued it largely outside of just um, what he was doing at home it didn't seem like it was a thing that he was he because he creates art just for himself you know Mm -hmm. Um, but what
0: what was there did they look at you and be like wow you really like this like did mm -hmm. they do you think that ever clicked for them or they identified that this was an if you something you had an affinity towards
1: no i don't think eh yeah no I don't think so I, I never pursued it in the sense of like drawing sketches in my own book I was just something that I like to see online and I was like I can I do enjoy this you know and I would look through magazines and stuff but um it was me more so like ah, oh, no I don't know I don't know maybe this isn't it you know and sometimes doubts fall into your head and you're like yeah maybe it's not it and then you yeah. just kind of write it off
2: yeah yeah
0: so a lot of this is like middle school time? Yeah. Okay. Definitely. And
1: now you say you get to high school mm-hmm.
0: and you inadvertently find track. Find track, man. Yeah. So tell me about that time.
1: Uh track was yeah, high school was good. High school was fun. Uh I don't know. I grew up in the heart of Crown Heights, Med- Medgar Evers, um on Crown and no on Carroll and Nostrand and just being West Indian West Indian inside of, like, the West Indian epicenter of Crown Heights. It was so affirming. You know, all of my friends, close friends, they were West Indian. The principal was West Indian. The assistant principal, everybody really um, was West Indian. So it felt really affirming to be there. And that's when I kind of, like, became aware of my blackness, I would say, in a large way. Because, you know, you're black. Just being on the block, you see people that are black. But really what the cultural context of it is and, like, how— Labor Day, um, there's this whole parade that's happening on Easton Parkway celebrating us and, like, seeing it more than just, like, the community gathering, but, like, the celebration of, um, self, so high school was cool, um, and I started running track to not have to go home afterwards, so it was, it it just, it was a good time, um, it taught me discipline, it definitely taught me that whatever you put into something, you're gonna get out of it, and, um, Definitely began began like my wellness journey when understanding how physical health does boost mental health because I remember experiencing clarity when I was running and working out continuously versus when I chose to stop or like I took a break from it. So Did track huge part
0: become too. a part of the identity for you at that time? Like were you like, oh, this is me?
1: Oh yeah, I was like, I'm a machine. Like I wake up, I breathe, I eat, I go to school, and I run track like that. Especially when I realized that comes that can come from it like we started traveling we go into Penn Relays I think that was like our closest meet um nearby and then we would also travel farther away we would go down to you know um I don't even know like Boston or somewhere else and like as a high schooler um you would experience these things I remember went to like Iowa or something and it's like there's such a large world out there and I definitely saw track as a vehicle and I saw it also as like not just to travel the world but um to get you to where you want it to be Mm -hmm. so especially with college I was like oh I'm gonna ride this right across the stage to collect my diploma kind of thing so that was really track was everything to me
0: so question um and not to diminish in any way Mm -hmm. your your interest and passion towards track Mm -hmm. but what I hear is that with the design component early in life, that felt like something that really spoke to you from like a you want to do this, create mm-hmm. work in this space, potentially. And it sounds like track was something that you enjoyed that you saw would provide opportunity. Would mm-hmm. you say that that's accurate? Yeah. 100%, okay. Yeah.
1: So. But that doesn't change that track was also fun. Like the, I wouldn't say that track ever became non-fun okay yeah.
0: so it was still fun to you yeah but it was like all right this
1: you saw it was what the best of both create. worlds being able to have fun enjoy with friends and then also get to where i need to go right. yeah
0: so at, at any point did you were you did you start to develop an aspiration to pursue track um, like on like a you know a olympic. professional level olympic yeah
1: no so again for me personally, whether I made it to Olympics or not didn't mean that much to me. Okay. like I wasn't doing track. I think at, it was a fifty fifty ride, you know, I, I really did enjoy it um and I saw what it can do for me, but it wasn't like this was like my goal professionally of what yeah. I wanted to do. I didn't want necessarily I, I, my legacy, I didn't hedge my legacy on wanting to be a track star. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was part of my identity, but it wasn't my whole identity. Oh, like, right. I still have peers who are still gunning it, and I'm still like, let's go, let's <laughs> do it, you know? And their legacy, you know, a large part of it, you know, is their track and how they use that to kind of, like create for their community and all these different things. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing, but that's not necessarily where I wanted my direction to be. Right. hmm so during this time period,
0: you know, track is really filling you up mm-hmm. and you're traveling now locally and going to meets and, you know, you, there's all these positive aspects that are coming from track. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, where where are you uh, creatively at this point? Like, are you still finding ways to infuse that into your day to day or did track kind of take over?
1: Um. So, I mean, in high school. So, yeah, I wouldn't. At that point, I definitely did craft my identity largely in academia. So my academics, I was that I, again, was very much academics and track and field. So I didn't do too much artsy. I did have an art class my senior year, and I did enjoy it. And looking back, how art has always kind of like immersed its way into a side door. It's more so me seeking it out through a side door. Um, But... No, it was definitely academics in track. Like, Let I me ask you something real mm-hmm. quick. Why do you think that is, seeking it out through a side door? Because I think that's where the expression is. Like, Sometimes it just needs to release, and um, whether that looks like doodling or uh, having a, a book or that creative expression of writing, whatever it is, it, it's going to seep out. You Know and I think I was holding myself looking back. I was so rigid with myself. Oh my gosh! Like in high school, mm-hmm. I again, when I say I was a machine, like I was a machine. Like I would wake up, and if it was anything, like I didn't go out to parties. I'm not, not that my friends that were in track and field, you know, if they had a sweet 16, I was partying with the people I had track meets with, you know, so there was no big parties or anything like that. But like I was so rigid. Um, but I will say I am not mad at the out- outcome of things, so yeah. it's okay. Yeah, it worked out. Yeah. So when you
0: say rigid, is there was there a point was there a part of you that like were you holding back? Like was it like
1: I could have told myself to chill, Rachel. Like you are. Uh, It was almost so rigid that it's like you're holding on to something so tight because you feel like if you even relax just a little bit of your grip, it's going to slip through your hands. And it's like... And this meaning, what are you holding on to? The scholarship, the college, the everything. So in high school, I was holding on and I was getting like 98. And again, this is not like, I'm not being like, oh, I did so well and, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying like, I was very hard on myself. I felt like I... um, like I was strict on my bedtime and all these different things. I was disciplined. Um, and should eighteen-year-olds be disciplined? Yes, I think so. Should they be at my level that I was at? Uh, I would. Want, I wouldn't want my kid to be like that. I would say that. Wow. Yeah, that's, because that's, that's deep. Yeah, and I would also say my motivation to leave, um, you know, Canarsie and leave my house was not necessarily at the at the time. My perspective on it was a lot more uh, angry than. I think I should have been, but again, emotions are emotions, but I wanted out, and um, so I was going to work at it, you know, so it worked out. Yeah. Mm hmm so that lands you at Rutgers, New Brunswick. Ay.
0: And you're all on the, the cool athletic team. There. Right? <laughs> you you're you're doing track and field all mm-hmm. the way from freshman year through yeah. you did all four years, right? Exactly. Tell me about that journey. What was Rutgers like and mm. you know, where were you in all aspects as far as identity, creatively, et cetera?
1: Yeah. So I mean, college opened up a lot for me. It was the first time I was in like academic spaces that were truly majority white. Like Truly, truly, truly. So all my AP courses, college prep course, everything in high school was black, and this was the first time I was really encountering the stereotypes of like you know because you hear it of like people of color aren't smart compared to white people like growing up, but then to be in a space where like there's actual this difference, you can see the white person, see the black person, and be like hmm this is this is something's not right here you know somebody's being treated differently or somebody's something's being assumed differently here, um, and. So, naturally, college became, you know, very clicky. Like, you, I, it completely makes sense to me while college looks like the way it is. Um, I would say it was awesome because my friends immediately were the people on my team. I still have my wolf pack, which is, like, my core four friends um, that came from track and field. And just holding on since then, college was a time where I think I came into myself also. But was still very guarded and i released the grip a little bit you know because college was definitely a lot of fun but i think nearing the end when i realized hmm i don't necessarily know what i want to do next i kind of like choked the grip back up a little bit so (laughs) gotta get
0: it together (laughs) yeah i gotta get it together
1: um but the way things have always worked out in life it's like now, now I know I don't need to be right.
0: like that kind. It's of like life. flow.
1: Yeah, it's a lot more flow now yeah. at 28, not yeah. 18.
0: <laughs> it, it's a journey to get there too, yeah, and um, I believe that all of the things we experience mm-hmm. get us there. Mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't. It comes at different times for different people, mm-hmm. depending on your experiences and all of that. So it's cool to see 10 years later that you're yeah. in that space. But even if you weren't, right? Like it's it's your story and your journey. Exactly. You said you came into your
1: own. Mm-hmm. In what ways? Living on your own, you really get to see what your choices are. So it's like, you know, if I don't want to go to class for a week, I don't have to. Um, Again, that doesn't stop you from dealing with the responsibility of whatever you're missing and stuff like that. But it's like, who are you when nobody's watching? Mm. Right? Like, mom's not here to. Tell you then clean your bed or whatever you know like other than your roommate saying hey make sure the communal space is clear like who are you you know what are you doing what do you do with your time what do you do with your free time how do you feel about yourself um, you know and how do you feel about um, the people that are around you who are you actually choosing to socialize with what are your perceptions on them and it's like all of these questions I'm not actively asking myself but um, just being able looking again looking back you're able to see like that's who I was and I see now at 28 looking back like oh I was being who I was truly you know so oh. I'm still disciplined with track you know your whole schedule is pretty much laid out for you. Mm-hmm. you you put your classes around your um, lifts you put your practices around you know your dinner and whatever else and um, you choose what the day is going to look like and you know, um, for me, I find that, again, that was another point where discipline really carved out how I'd progressed in life. Right. Mm-hmm. Did
0: you find opportunities to find creative outlets, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether that be art coursework, mm-hmm. whether that's organizations, clubs like how did you stay um, in tune with that side of your identity?
1: Um, Let's see. I think I I wasn't ever really involved with clubs or anything on campus. Um, I would always say, I would truly just say it kind of came from journaling, writing. Um, So that was still going on when you were in school? I would say I was writing. I I wasn't journaling yet. I started to journal in my senior year right before, um, in the spring semester, like I think January of that year. I think my first journal has that date on it. And um, that's when I kind of turned to journaling as an outlet of like me talking to myself. But before that, it would be writing, and I would write stories that kind of like pop in my head.
2: Mm.
1: So um, again, just writing. But these are all like on the sides of notebooks, on not nothing formal, nothing in one complete place. It's just wherever I feel like kind of right. like, putting it down.
0: It was something that it was an ex- a form of expression for you. Yeah,
1: <clears throat> exactly.
0: Out of curiosity. When did writing in that capacity start? Was that a college thing or did that start even before that?
1: Mm -mm. That's um, when I was reading a lot of books when I was younger um, in elementary school and like the beginning of junior high school. From there, I started after I kind of like stopped reading in the formal sense of like because school was just school, you know, and and so I would kind of just write afterwards. So um, on the back of books, on the side of books, all kinds of things. Yeah.
0: That's interesting. You know why I think that's so interesting. Because writing is like a huge part of your life right now. Yeah, it is. Um, it's, it's which we'll get there. Of, yeah. but that's interesting to me.
1: It is. And it's funny because I've been re- reckoning with like, in what capacity does writing work for me? And maybe mm-hmm. we'll go into more of this uh, a little bit later. But um, I kind of like have a theory on what works for me now. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah I, I can't wait. Okay. <laughs>
0: yeah. So uh, take me through the rest of, you know, just... The kind of the last pieces of college. Mm-hmm. You're on the team, you're enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I remember at one point there's an aspiration to connect your journey and athleticism
2: mm-hmm.
0: to the student journey mm-hmm. in athletics and helping guide them through and such. So what were you thinking as far as what you wanted to do when you graduated, what the trajectory was going to look like, the kind of things you wanted to work on and such, and then what happened at graduation and after?
1: Right. So I would say I'm this is like two months before graduation happens and I have all my credits everything's set and I'm just like I got my gown and I'm like I don't know what I'm doing next you know I've been applying to jobs but there's nothing there's no like f- passion or fine fire burning behind me and Kate Hickey who is um the SWA senior woman administrator at you know Rutgers at the time she was our sports supervisor so means that she comes to like our practice and comes to like meets and stuff like that so I was, I'm familiar with her presence. I go to her and I say you know I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> next and but I do like track I like sport I like being surrounded by it I just don't know what's really next and she's like okay well you know there's this whole vein of like industry called sport administration which you can be in college athletics, you could be in professional sport, you can help organize it, manage it, administer it, whatever you need to do. And she basically puts me on, she tells me about her graduate program which was at UNC Chapel Hill. Um connects me with like and I think Professor Osborne who was down there and basically says, "Hey, you learn about this." And so I end up taking a gap year after graduating Rutgers. I graduate with honors. It's all good. And I come back to New York. I start working. Man, I was working like five, four, four or five jobs like in that point. Yeah, I was walling. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew. So I had one foot in because I knew I wanted to do athletics. So at this point, I'm studying to take my GRE um, to go to grad school. I have one foot in college athletics because I'm interning with sport marketing at St. John's. I'm working at Harlem's Children's Zone. I'm bartending and um waitressing at Applebee's. Wow. Yeah, like I because I was trying to figure out like do I want to stay in college sport? Do I want to, you know, Harlem Children's Zone was recreational sports. So I was like, okay, let's see what this is about. I do love children. I love younger people, this. And then bartending waitressing was because, like, it was just, like, extra pocket money. I was like, why not? Like, I'm going to do this. Especially because I wanted to go to UNC. And I was like, if I got to move to North Carolina, I need money. So more right. mo- more money anyway.
0: I'm going to pause you there real quick. Mm-hmm. Those are two really big
1: mm-hmm. um Accomplishments, yeah. Places to be able to work
0: at mm-hmm. St. John's and uh, Harlem's Children's Zone. Home. Yeah. How do you get there? Right, <laughs> so like you're you're graduated from school and you're not sure what you want to do. Yeah. How do you find yourself in those places?
1: Oh man, I was on LinkedIn. I was in everybody's inbox. I was sliding everybody's DMs. I would fill out applications, submit it immediately. Go to like whoever the hiring manager was. I would go on LinkedIn and see. Who is the hiring manager of this, or who's the director? Like, who is this position reporting to? And then I'm gonna email you, get in your inbox, and I'm getting the HR manager's inbox. So, like, it's about you trying to eat? Yeah. So, <laughs> you're gonna find out a way. Um, and I would say, really, like, getting that communication across of, like, hey, I'm not just going to fill out the application, but I more so want this position. So let me know what it takes to get it kind of thing. People love that, Mm. particularly in athletics, because it's full of go-getters. Like, are you going to make this happen? So I I did that. And um, and that still kind of is my mentality now. I don't just stop at, oh, I'm going to send this email. I'm going to get on the phone with you. And I'm going to find out, you know, how can we do whatever. Right. So So tell me about your time at St.
0: John's. Did you, how did you, did you like that role? Yeah. So
1: it was, I was a marketing intern, which meant that I would show up at the game day, um, day of events and basically help out with making sure the mascot was situating. Is the chair team here? Is this on-site marketing happening here? Like, is this a pop-up? Are there vendors over here? Kind of thing. And, um, I realized I like sport for the ac- for the um, student-facing side of it, like work interfacing with people more so. So not necessarily with the um, pop-ups and the activations that are happening. So that was short-lived, and um, but it was really good to have on my resume. So I think after like three or four months, I was just like, thank you. But you know, as an intern, there was no you know financial anything. So mm-hmm. I just stepped away from that, and that freed up time though, and it helped me make up a decision, which is. Which saves you so much longer than asking "what if" or have any regrets.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And what about the Harlem Children's Zone?
1: So I was there until um, I. What I took away from that was the beauty of community, and because Harlem Children's Zone is obviously rooted in Harlem and it works with predominantly, um, you know, people of color um, from different financial groups. Um, but really, it shows how community and investing can really create new life in new generations to come um and i think that that is truly a cornerstone of what i do now because in all things that i do i feel that when i'm serving others is when i'm really on the best foot you know so um and everything that i do i do have a community aspect of it and i hope to always interface with people in that way right
0: so so in some ways things are coming together yeah where at least there's these, these different elements that mm-hmm. we start to see emerge in your life yeah. later on but they <clears throat> the foundation is being built right in that in that current time frame mm-hmm. so what happens after you leave those two roles and
1: yeah so at that point um, <laughs> this was when I knew that I was only going to do a gap year for one year. So now this is about springtime. At this point, I did UNC's uh, Chapel Hill's grad school interview, and I also did the NCAA postgraduate interview, and I got both of them. I got both offers. And I had to make the decision about um, do you want to go to grad school, which would be a two-year commitment. Um, at at get UNC. Th- right. UNC, oh, right. Wow. Uh, you would get your degree. You would get one year of experience, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. blah. Or you could do the NCAA postgraduate, which is not a degree, but it puts you on the fast track with um, athletics for any you know you know any organization in the NCAA simply because you're at the headquarters kind of thing. What does that look like, just for clarity? Because I am not familiar. I'm not right. Sure if- so the NCAA, um, National Collegiate athletic, athletic Association, um, is the governing body for college athletics in the United States. So that means that every single school who has a um, athletic component, whether D1, D2, D3, they all filter up and report to the NCAA administratively, um, which means that if you are affiliated with the NCAA, the governing body in any capacity, um, there's this assumption that you understand college athletics on these different levels, which makes you an asset to be able to function on the campus level coming from the administrative like um, governing body side. Um, but obviously that relates to skills, but just being in an affiliation, you'll be able to make connections, no doubt across this, um, kind of plane. So I weighed my options and I felt like coming out with a degree would be better. Um, and at that, so the UNC degree is free in addition to like, it was a tuition remission. So it kind of worked, it worked out free in addition to the NCAA being, um, a paid position. So you weren't losing money really in any situation. So, I did the grad school, um, two years um, of of school down there. And I mean, life changing, absolute life changing. Um, UNC taught me resilience about myself that I never knew. Um, It showed me You know, really what I'm made of. I went down there and I thought that it was going to be an easy breezy walk of cake because undergrad was. It was a lot of fun. There is a huge difference Mm. between undergrad and grad school. Mm. And UNC pushed that from me because... Our grad program, we took classes for one year, and then we worked full time in the athletics department our second year. But in addition to a full time internship, you have a thesis that you have to complete, and in addition, you take comps, which are compositional exams, that you know adds up to about six hours across however many days. Um, and most grad programs have tracks that you can do a internship, a thesis, or comps, and UNC has all of them for us. So it was. It was tough, um, and at the time, I wasn't in the best mental health shape, so I finished my first year, started my second year, and like halfway through my second year, ended up having a panic attack, and ended up just basically withdrawing from school damn near. Um, I took a leave of absence from my internship. I took a leave of absence um, from doing my thesis, and basically, I just kind of like recuperated, started going to talk therapy. I was on um some medication in order to calm the anxiety and these different things, um, that were happening. And I really wasn't just in a good place. And that's because I wasn't listening to my body. I wasn't listening to myself. Um, and to bounce back from that, I knew that it was going to take me actually caring for myself, putting focus into, you know, what am I actually feeling instead of just pushing it down. Mm. Um, and, you know, really taking that time to rehabilitate, you know, um, And I'm grateful for the incredible privilege that I have in order to be able to do that and safely not be on the street. You know, I had people, I had a professor who's incredible who basically took me and was just like, you can stay here. And I still have that incredible relationship with her. Um, When I ended up graduating later that year, my family stayed with her, you know, at her house. So shout out to Dr. Waite. But at the time... You know, because I took that leave of absence, my thesis was delayed. So I was supposed to walk in. I walked in graduation May 2017. I walked with my class and I was there, but I didn't have a diploma in hand. There was no diploma coming in a week, basically. I still had to finish that. And um, because of that, I beat myself up a lot. Mm. But the beauty in it was because I didn't graduate, I knew that I needed to get busy and stay active and you know, stay in athletics. My internship had ended for one year and... I ended up taking an internship for the summer with um, the Olympic, um, the Olympic Committee, <laughs> which was fantastic at the time. Um, I went out to Colorado, and I was able to really. Beyond the Olympic, you know, training center, I was there. It was um, almost the Winter Olympics. So there were a whole bunch of figure skaters and bobsledders that were there. So I was in the weight room around other people. Um, and I'm working in the diversity and inclusion department of, yeah. So what did that Olympic mean for you community. in that
0: moment? Because you, you're walking, but you're not getting the diploma. Mm. And you're beating yourself up mentally mm-hmm. at that point. But then you go. Like the, the the interesting thing is, I'm, as I keep hearing the different aspects of your story, mm-hmm. it's like this very interesting contrast. Mm-hmm. Where in most moments, where you're like beating yourself up, and it feels like mm-hmm. it's like the toughest of times. Mm-hmm. There's also right around the corner this really big breakthrough mm-hmm. of like, oh, but I just landed this internship. Yeah. Right? So what was what was your headspace like during
1: that time? Yeah, I wanna. I would love to say that I was the most excited person to go out to the Olympic Committee, but I only saw the failure of not getting that diploma in hand. And so when I went out to Olympic Committee, um, it's co- <laughs> you're like moping, but you're on the grounds of like hollow grounds of athletics mm-hmm. or athleticism, you know. And so I did have. I I would say that a third of me was upset at myself for not being able quote-unquote, not being able to finish, right? Um, I had to take care of myself, period. But the other two-thirds was very much like, this is freaking cool like this this is amazing um my internship with the diversity and inclusion department they have a summit and it's called flame and so young leaders from all over the country come in for one week and we have speakers so we had like john carlos and uh, tommy smith you know the people who raised the black power fist Mm -hmm. um, during the 1968 um mexico city olympics and so all of these different things that are really happening and all these speakers that are coming by and it's like for all of the,
0: this, this is New York for real. It's all right. <laughs> Keep talking. It's all right. For all
1: of the, you know, stuff that I could focus on that's negative, there's so much more to kind of focus on that's positive. And, you know, that's a metaphor for life. Like, yeah. if you focus on it, it you'll it'll be there.
0: So, so during your journey in grad school, mm-hmm. you're you're walking on new grounds and the athletic route mm-hmm. as far as managing students working with the NCAA or mm-hmm. uh, an athletic institution potentially being student facing mm-hmm. is a lot of the interest at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, it so you take on this internship with the Olympics mm-hmm. and is it like, all right, the end goal and the vision is to continue in this space. Like, are you thinking mm-hmm. that way in that moment? And also, what's going through your mind as far as writing mm-hmm. and some of those other creative aspects that fill your soul, but you, I'm sure you're extremely busy at that time. Mm-hmm. It may be tough to fit in.
1: Yeah. Um, at this point, my wellness really just looked like reading. I had a bunch of books that I took with me to the Olympics. Um, I wasn't, I, I, at this point, I wasn't well. Um, my spirit wasn't really well, so I wasn't c- creative. Like, I felt definitely like a blockage was there. Um, but, so, yeah, that, that, that wasn't, I wasn't creating. I, I almost think I stopped completely, creating completely. I will say when I was in North Carolina, during the time of, like, um, you know, me being on that break from school, my professor, Dr. Waite, she loves to paint. So she has, like, paint sets, and she has two younger daughters, um, Lily and Aaliyah, and they paint as well. So I would paint a lot with them. And so that was awesome. I mean, I still have those paintings, and um, I would say I did have that creative outlet with her more so.
0: Yeah. That's dope. hmm Yeah. So you finished the internship. Yes. What happens after?
1: So I finished that internship, and I come back to North Carolina, and I have this thesis to finish. So um, I go into, like, grind mode, and I'm like, hmm, how am I... So now... Being back in school, I still have to pay for the credit. Even if I'm not physically in a classroom, you have to pay for the credit of your thesis. So I was like, I need money. So I started working part-time at a hotel, and I worked there at night because I, in the daytime I worked on my thesis. And so I needed that space of time to like give myself a big block of time to do it. Um, and I started working. And I work, and I work, and I work, and I work at the hotel. The hotel opens. It was a new hotel, so for a large part of it, I wasn't even in the physical space. Mm -hmm. And so it was great because I was able to work on my thesis a lot. And about three months in, this was kind of like a blip in my experiences. um, I reached out to – oh, no, I had a professor who – Dr. Waite reached out to the USA Baseball. Their headquarters is in North Carolina because she knew I was working at the um, hotel, and she was like – We'll figure this out. And she calls them with my track record of being at the Olympics, which is the governing body of all USA sports. So USA baseball, USA basketball, USA lacrosse, whatever. They were like, oh, this is awesome. She understands the governing st- structure. She understands you know, um, these different organizations. We would love to interview her. So just like that, because of my experience with the Olympics, I knew got this new shot with USA baseball. Long story short, I interview, I get it. And so now I go from working at the hotel to working at USA Baseball and working on my thesis. Mm. And so it's very interesting how the things, again, I was looking at working at the Olympics as being like this downtrodden experience or whatever. As soon as I get back to North Carolina, it comes out being an incredible benefit. So, I mean, I'm incredibly grateful for my story of how I'm just able to move from one thing to another. But it always makes sense looking back, you
0: know. So. It's always
1: easy, you know, when you,
0: when you look back, right? Yeah. It's always easier to connect the dots and see how, oh, yeah, it totally makes sense. I went from here to here to yeah. here, right? But when you're going through it.
1: It's a storm. Yeah. I believe I had called you when, and we came, and you told me about 99 Celsius um, while I was at USA Baseball, because at that point, um, I had finished my thesis, and so I'm done. I'm graduated, but I'm still at USA Baseball, because I'm like, I want a job in New York. I want to work in athletics in New York. I feel like I'm not making any progress. I'm playing to all the New York schools. What's happening, Mark? And that's when you dropped my gym. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, yes, I remember. Yes. Yes. Um, I
0: remember where I was when we had that conversation. I was
1: in the line for chick fil yeah, I were. was. I was. And... I, was
0: at, uh, I had just gotten food, and I was at my parents' crib. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was around the holidays.
1: Yes. Man. Mm-hmm. that's crazy mm-hmm. but being at USA Baseball what that taught me was the power of like that connection um, and really because I think that was the first position where one person's referral like I didn't I don't think I, I didn't fill out maybe off the record I didn't fill out like an application until like after when they were like hey fill this out you know yeah. we, we, but we talked about it and I saw the power of like how um somebody's referral can really open that door in your mm-hmm. life and i was like hmm i see how things <laughs> be unfolding for real you know so yeah
0: it was good so how close are you to finishing the thesis at this point
1: when i get usa baseball yeah um i'm probably three months out so i get back from the Olympics. So this is um, so I'm supposed to graduate May 2017. So this is 2017. May 2017. I don't graduate. I get. I go to the Olympics in June 2017. I come back from the Olympics back into North Carolina in September 2017. Um, I start working at the hotel in September, and I go into 2018 with the hotel. I start at USA Baseball in January 2018. And I graduated, I finished my thesis in May, 2018. Like that was on my graduation um, date, but I actually finished my thesis like at the end of January, 2018. Okay. Okay. Um, so that's done, it's in the book and I'm just waiting to get my diploma in May basically. Right. Um, and I'm still living in North Carolina. And since I walked at graduation, I'm not gonna go back to the one that's in May um, for 2018. And um, yeah, so I'm just working there, all of my friends who have went to UNC with me, they're either working at the university or completely gone. So and I'm living in Raleigh, North Carolina at this point. I'm no longer in Chapel Hill, so I'm a lot more isolated from people, so I really much just go to work and come back home right. most days. yeah The
0: aspiration at that time is then to make it back
1: to New York, right? Correct, okay because I miss New York, I miss home, I miss my friends um. Yeah, I have done my time in North Carolina. I I have family that's down there, but growing up in New York and growing up in Brooklyn, the the idea of what fun is, or what nightlife is, of what like. <laughs> food is and everything else is just a little bit different. Yeah. And cuz that's one thing like being West Indian, there's a large black population obviously in the south but culturally it's different. Yeah, so absolutely. even being around black people like they want to listen to boozy when they hanging out I'm just like <laughs> what is going on? Like <laughs>
0: So, Man, have your
1: soca. <laughs> I'm I'm ready for soca. I'm ready for it to mash up, you know. I'm ready to go back to New York. Yeah. At this point, yeah. So you start applying to you start applying um, I started applying to a number of positions, but the one thing that kind of works out for me is my girlfriend, Shami Quaranrak, where we are actually nemesis in um, high school. She went to uh, Cardozo, and I went to McGeverss at that time. We were nemesis. We never talked in high school. Mm. But through a twist of fate, she ended up going to Rutgers uh, on a fifth year and she runs at Rutgers. I'm not there at the time, but because of that camaraderie, we're cool now. She hits me. She works in college athletics. She's at Queens College at this point. And she's like, hey, because, again, because I know that I'm trying to get back to New York, I'm reaching out to all my peers. She works in college athletics as well. She's like, I just met this guy from Columbia, and he's leaving the position. It's in student athlete, student, um, athlete development, which is what I did at UNC. And she said, I want to put you in contact with him. I was like, shoot, give me his number. Wow. So the next day, me and him talk on the phone. And um, I told him I applied for the Columbia position. You know, I didn't know I was going to end up meeting up with him. But basically, he, like, drops every gem, gives me the cheat code on the supervisor. Like, he gave me everything. (laughs) And I, you know, I, you know, I wasn't chopped me. Like, I came with my resume stacked. Like, I've been at some heavy hitters. I was at St. John's. I was at UNC. I was at the Olympics. I was at USA Baseball. So I'm, I'm coming ready. Right. Two days later, so he's like, All right, I'm gonna tell my supervisor about you, hang up the phone. We did. Um, two days later, I get an um, email from the supervisor, and she's like, Hi, we'd like to set up a phone interview with you. And in two days after that, we do the phone interview. Like everything is just mm-hmm. like rolling. Right. I kill the phone interview. She's like, Hi, hey, we wanna set up the um, in person. So they fly me up to New York. Mind you, all of this is happening because of Shamik's mouth telling me I want to connect with you with this guy, you know? But, I mean, being in the right space when you prepared. Yeah. From there, go up there, crush the interview, and I get the job. So now I'm back in New York. And, um, man, it feels good. Mm-hmm. I was, ha- I was so excited to get back to New York, and they wanted me to start pretty quickly. So it was cool because... I moved right back into my mom's house. I was just like, all right, I'm taking over the space. <laughs> I was like, I'm ready to go. I was, I drove up. I packed, I think I packed up my my apartment in like a week, packed my car and I drove up 95. Wow. Me and Rihonda, my car's name is Rihonda. Um, we drove up 95 and we were back in Canarsie. Amazing. Yeah. It was beautiful. So you love in New York? When you're love, back? Or? Oh, yeah. Loving
0: yeah. New York. I'm missing Does that holiday. last the whole time, or is there a point where it's like, I don't know. Yeah. New York anymore?
1: <laughs> you know what? It hit was when I came back home, and I think it snowed last year, and I was like, I'm, I am I, have to shovel again. Yeah. Like, you know, when you live in a... <laughs> what is this? When you, yeah, when you live in an apartment <laughs> complex, it's very much handled for you. Came back home, my mom was like, here. <laughs> okay. Um, but, no, it was cool. It's cool because... Now I'm coming back as an adult. You know, I left when I was really like 18, came Mm -hmm. back for one year at 24. And then now I'm an adult and like we doing a we hanging out, we got brunch. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) You know. That's Um, true.
0: There is that whole there is a new level that that you unlock.
1: You know, you you know, there's a dating scene now. You're really trying to figure things out. And so I was really right back into the city. I was not intimidated at all. I was like, I know what I left. And I know what's back there in North Carolina. I don't necessarily want that. So Yeah. Yeah. So life is good. And at this point, um my friend Mark, another Mark. I have two very close friends named Mark, they're both very awesome men. Um, my friend Mark, he reaches out to me and he's like, you know, um, he was crushing it. He created a podcast, he did like a few things, he created this or um this kind of community with his girlfriend as well and basically I was like I don't, I don't know what you are reading or what podcast you're listening to but I want it and um, basically he was like you know I just did this um, kind of professional personal development kind of thing and so he signs me up for it and like in my first month coming um, back to New York, I do it. So are you, are you, you're at
0: Columbia at this point, right? I'm at Columbia.
1: Okay. I started already. And one month in, I was just like, all right, I'm going to do this. And so it completely, like, shifted my perspective on, like, what's possible, what my wants are, what my needs are, how I communicate with people, you know, and, like, really how I'm showing up in the world. And, I mean, it everything. And that's when it kind of, like, reignited the art in me because at this point, I would say my tipping point of coming back into wholeness was coming back to New York. Mm. And then from there, as I continued to do like work on myself and no longer put myself in these places of like, oh, I'm doing this because I think this is right rather than this feels right kind of thing. Um, I went into college athletics as a profession because... I did it as a student athlete. I enjoyed it. And then I chose to enter into a space where I wanted to be in this professionally. Right. But it was because it was familiar It was what I knew. It wasn't because like, oh, this is what I'm passionate about. This is where I want to create new ground kind of thing. Um, So it was very comfortable position. It was like, I know how to do this. I'm going to do it. And after I did like that personal development, I was like, I want to push the bounds of like, what do I actually know? What do I actually enjoy? And really find out, get to the root of like what am I doing here you know and what do I want to leave behind on this earth Um, and the biggest way that I know I can impact or influence or really just inspire others is to really be myself and express myself and that expression can look like writing it can look like um, you know my um, video stuff that we put out just talking to others you know it's really engaging. And I was so moved after that I it really kickstarted how I really express myself now. Yeah.
0: So you do this program mm-hmm. and it helps you realize that you want to step back into the things that you truly love. Mm-hmm. But how did you identify exactly what they were?
1: I had to find out. Like there was definitely a point where I was like, I don't even know what I like to do. And right. so from there I kinda went back to, all right, who are my who do I really look up to? Who do my what do I always enjoy? I've always pretty much enjoyed writing. I knew I can dig into that and I'll get something out of it. I also enjoyed modeling. You know, when I was younger I did Barbazon. My mom put me in What's Barbazan? Barbazon is I don't know, man, it's like the nineties. Like it was just <sighs> It was a model agency, but also it kind of had, they held classes and stuff. So I went to it because my mom pretty much thought that I was like a lot of a tomboy. And so they taught you how to kind of like etiquette and different things. Hmm. You But it was model training because you learn how to crosswalk. You learn how to like really do kind of different things, makeup. And so I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. But at the time, I just didn't. I felt like it would have been a burden on my family in order to kind of pursue that. So I kind of took myself out of that, and I was like, mm, I'm gonna make the decision without even talking to my mom about it. Was, so you enjoyed it? I did back enjoy then very it very much. So, but yeah, in I, order to it was almost like martyrdom. Like I mean, yeah, I just felt I felt like my family couldn't afford that. So mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm not gonna do this. And I, my mom, I'm like, do you want to continue? I was like, no. And so I I did that um, again, making decisions that I had no business making at that age, but you live and you learn. And so I, but the beauty is I got to revisit it again. Yeah. This time and, and in this moment I'm enjoying it more than ever. Um, you know I got my first like free gift from a brand the other day, and I was just like, wow. You know it's it's crazy. How, how who's paying attention? Yeah. And, and you know what when I'm just doing me, so it's beautiful.
0: Sure, yeah, that's really dope
2: mm-hmm.
0: um so the process was just a matter of doing reflection mm-hmm. on who am I, who was I before, mm-hmm. what kind of things was I into as a child, and mm-hmm. then is it taking chances at all like are you are you
1: diving into places that you had
0: never never dove into before and discovering uh, things as well,
1: right, yeah, so I would say all of this would be new because I would say that previously what I was doing was very surface and it would be in even creating in a safe way in the sense that like, you know, I don't want to push the bounds because you know, what if I'm not good at this, then I don't want to feel the letdown of me not being good at it. And now it's like, I'm going to do something with a video. It's going to look a little bit janky. It might be shaky, but you know what? I'm going to try it kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So even just releasing it to the public in the sense that social media now allows your work, even if like only a few people view it, it's like a public thing, you know, and I think th- allowing yourself to be open to criticism is a step. Right. Because you can hold it off and, you know, hold back. So I think even in ways that we think might not be super duper expressive, they might be the most risk taking ways. So. Right. So that's how that's pretty much where I'm at. Yeah. You
0: know? So uh, you you kind of discover these different areas, and it sounds like writing is probably the one that mm-hmm. you like. You that's your first love. Yeah, it, um, I keep
1: going back to it. Yeah, it it allows me to express myself even so much so that in the middle of like a disagreement my boyfriend and I might have, I find that if I walk away and just like type my thoughts thoughts into my phone and then read it to him later it, it you know in a minute it sounds a lot more cohesive than if I try to string it together in my head like I mm-hmm. feel like I need to see what I'm saying and yeah. it makes sense to yeah. me yeah
0: I feel that mm-hmm. so where where are you right now with you know creating and mm-hmm. uh, and those aspirations
1: yeah so right now um it's weird there's I'm writing I am mostly in the space of wellness and healing, right? So at the moment, um, that's really the energy that I'm kind of giving off just because I'm being very introspective with myself. So this season of my life is, is more so introspection and sharing those discoveries with others, right? And so being vulnerable to what, I might perceive as false but are also but are actually strength and leaving space for it to be interpreted differently um so in that space that's what i'm doing with myself and so i'm sharing it with others in that way um i'm also been paused but i was writing a book and you know i'm trying to decide if i want to go back to that because it was feeling inauthentic. Like at one point it felt as if like, you know, I said, I'm going to do this and I have to finish it kind of thing. And it's like, no, I want to enjoy the process of me doing it. You know, how many times have we created a project and put it down for a while and then come back and we bat it better at it better than before. You know, I want it to be that in that organic way. Um, but yeah, so there's that. And then um, I was, I am still looking at creating, you know, um, a wellness meetup. Under these circumstances, it's a, a little bit harder. Um, but these circumstances meaning coronavirus. But, um, yeah, yeah. but uh, you know, but it's, it'll come together when it needs to. Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, we almost forgot something really big and I would love to touch on it. What? South Africa.
1: Yeah, so South Africa. So I... And that's another pivot point in life. So I was going to South Africa um, in about October in the fall of, you know, 2019. And everything was working through. I got approved by the agency. Every, all the, everything was done. And the visa got delayed. What were you going for? Modeling. Yeah, I was, I was going to go out there for six months uh, modeling. And... and When I was applying for the visa, it got like delayed and then denied, and then I had to reappeal it and all these different things. And you know what? It's funny how life works because for so long I thought that that was what I needed to go out there to do. But I realized that even just that courageous step in choosing to do something, it kind of really ignited the influence that I kind of have here on like my family and stuff like that because my mom's taken the step to like really go after her candle business after seeing like what I went through to really go out to South Africa and even if it didn't come to fruition it's like wow how much energy and how much growth have I had to even endeavor to do that and like how can I keep continue bringing that energy with me to my daily life oh my gosh I feel like every day I wake up and I'm just like, this makes sense that this makes sense, you know? Um, And it's not put off for forever. There's, um, if I choose to go back in later time, then I choose to go back. But for right now I'm here, still doing modeling work here, still doing writing work here, still doing creative work here. And yeah, it's good.
0: So as you know, the, the the original Mm -hmm. uh, person that, that uh, spoke to me about 99 Celsius and such. And, you know the analogy very well and mm-hmm. what it means um, if you were to just look at the way things have been playing out and mm-hmm. where you are as you're navigating your space and mm-hmm. where you want to be where you are now and where you'd like to be, where do you think you are on that spectrum of that zero to ninety nine or even a mm-hmm. hundred you know where do you where do you think you stand right now as far as finding your place and what you want to be working on and your contribution
1: right. Um, so right now this season I find is more about um, connectivity and the relationships that I have Um, so previously when I was like at UNC and you know those early 20s oh my god those early 20s Mm. it was more so about like what's this career profession kind of stuff happening in my life and I was you know I was very much shunning the relationships in my life and I was kind of like bulldozing towards whatever my career goals were or like professional goals were. And I find that right now, It appears that the relationship I'm building, you know, with my boyfriend is a huge thing. Like, you know, we have created our real estate investors, you know, business, and we're doing the damn thing, Um, you know, getting tighter with my mom, getting tighter with my dad, getting tighter with my siblings after being away, you know, from, let's say, 2010 until 2018, you know, so there's about eight years that I wasn't actively close with my family physically, you know, and of course you can make it up through communication and stuff like that, but I didn't do that. And so right now I'm really kind of like focusing on that. Um, and so I don't know right now, this is just seems like the season right now is, is relationships. Okay. So
0: yeah. the season of relationships and yeah. such. And um, as you begin to, to think about next steps, mm-hmm. right? What the next several years, months, whatever mm-hmm. timeline looks like for you, if you were to envision what a 99 Celsius could look like, Mm -hmm. what being on the brink of whatever the big dream and aspiration Mm -hmm. is, um, holistically speaking, Mm -hmm. what does that look like for you?
1: All right. Um, Well, every day it bubbles, so I'm going to be grateful with that. Um, But like from a year from now, um, my money money is going to be double stacked. So Mm. let's let's start there. All right. Um, at least (laughs) let's start there at least a double stack. Um, and I would have a healing creation space, whether in wellness or mental health. Um, I think that's gonna, that's, that's gonna pop up. Um, and just more progression and self-reflection. I find that when I do the work with myself, it's easier to spread it to others. Um, so, yeah, staying centered within myself, I think that'll be it. That's my nine. That's my real 99. Yeah. Like staying centered because this only, we're only so good as we take care of ourselves. So, mm. Yeah. I think that's You're it. You're just going to leave it
0: at that. Leave it at that's that. That's beautiful right there. <laughs> Yo, thank you so much for, for jumping on and, and doing this with me. You're as I mentioned, this is amazing. And um, I'm very appreciative of the friendship we have. I am. We're too. always supporting everything mm-hmm. that I do and, you know, for giving me the idea and just the conversations Mm -hmm. that we always have anytime I'm going through it or you're going through it or anytime that I'm winning or you're winning, we're still able to have the same conversations Mm -hmm. that are going to keep us accountable, that are going to help us elevate, be celebrated, and do whatever it is that's on our mind and heart to do and get the encouragement that we need. So I appreciate you very much. I'm very proud of everything you've been doing, accomplishing traveling real estate all that stuff that you've been saying that you're gonna do yeah you're doing it and it's I so am. cool to see and it's always an inspiration to me yeah. so it's a blessing good luck as you continue to you, you know i'm gonna be here for mm-hmm. sure Um, Do you want to give, if you'd like, how can people keep in touch with you?
1: Yes. So my Instagram handle is Leek Mills, L-E-E-K-E-M-I-L-L-Z. And there I post a whole bunch of wellness, um, mental health reflections, and, you know, just take care info um, on there. And I'd love to engage with community and look forward to doing so moving forward. Thanks again, Mark.
0: It's lit. Appreciate you, Rach. Peace and love. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of 99 Celsius. Again, I'm your host, Marco Quay. For updates on the pod, follow us on Instagram at 99 Celsius, all spelled out. New episodes air each and every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share the pod with others. Until next time.